Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I am a writer and an entrepreneur, and through decades of writing articles for magazines and newspapers and authoring books, I've wondered what makes life meaningful and what makes work worth doing. In my day job, I help schools and universities, entrepreneurs and leaders learn how to market and grow their reach. You can learn more about my company, Your People, at yourppl.com. I also am a writing coach, and I teach my signature Find Your Voice Writers Workshop, through writingworkshops.com and at makemeaning.org. I help people, organizations, and movements find their voice and gain the confidence to use it. Because everything we do means something. Why waste your moments? You are needed. You can make the world better. And by caring about the people you encounter and the tasks you take on, you get closer every day to finding your unique meaning and living life with purpose. This podcast focuses on all the many ways people make meaning in the mundane. You'll hear stories of courageous people daring to imagine a life they love. If you like what you hear, give us a review on any of the podcast platforms you find this show. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. Hey everyone, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is a really special episode of the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm kicking off 2022 by interviewing two really special guests, and it really speaks to the heart of something that is dear to me and which I think represents so much of what we hope for in this world. So let's start by giving you my perspective, and then I'll tell you a little bit about the guests so that you can be excited as I am to hear what they have to say. I am fiercely protective of Israel and the need for a safe place in the world for Jews, but I'm also pained by the way Palestinians have been displaced and continue to be treated unfairly. As an American Jew who knows well the millennia-old endurance of anti-Semitism, I believe Israel is a miracle and that it is imperative that Jews have a place where we are accepted and welcomed no matter what. At the same time, the nation of Israel sits on land the Palestinians called home long before the current state was formed. We must find a way to share this land that we both claim and coexist with mutual respect and mutual opportunity. We cannot blame one side or another. We must find the humanity in both communities and through eye-to-eye, face-to-face connection, discover ways to move forward together. And yet, I realize how far away I am from this situation and how ill-informed most of us outside of Israel and Palestine are to even comment on it, let alone impact it in meaningful ways. This is why I want to speak with people on the ground who are trying to make sense out of the tension and move toward peaceful coexistence and a new way forward. In this episode of the Make Meaning Podcast, I am speaking with Noor Awad and Rabbi Hanan Schlesinger, who are part of Roots, a unique network of Palestinians and Israelis who see each other as the partners they both need to make changes to end the situation amongst their communities. Based on a mutual recognition of each people's connection to the land, they are developing understanding and solidarity despite ideological differences. They emphasize that while they work together, they do not live together because Israeli military law forbids them from living in the same home or the same neighborhood or the same city. They are forbidden by law from visiting in each other's homes. They live in a situation of legally mandated separation that is based on injustice and creates further injustice. They reminded me before the interview 
that they cannot talk about the value of coexistence, only about the need for reconciliation and the need for healing the psychological and spiritual maladies behind this ever-present situation. Roots is a place where local people are trying to take responsibility. They aim to challenge assumptions that their respective communities hold about each other, building trust, and creating a new discourse around this situation. This is a grassroots and local model for making real change, and I hope that we all can learn from it. Nora Wad and Rabbi Hanan Schlesinger are my next guests on the Make Meaning podcast. Let's give a listen to our conversation. So Nora Awad and Rabbi Hanan Schlesinger, welcome to the Make Meaning podcast. Thank you for having us. So I'd like to learn a little bit about each of you and how you came to Roots. So Nora, let's start with you. I understand that your family moved from Jordan to Beit Sahor after the Oslo Accords were signed. And it was then and there that you began to ponder your identity as a Palestinian refugee. So um, I did my research and I know that you joined Roots in 2016 and now you live in Bethlehem. I'd love to hear a little bit about you and your journey and how you see the the conflict between these communities. Yeah, so um, my family moved here or back to Palestine on the hopes of, uh, of the peace process, that the peace process is going to end the occupation and they can... Uh, live here and thrive, and uh, there was this this feeling that there will be a better future for us, for my generation. Mm-hmm. And all of these hopes, and uh, um, you know, looking to the future uh, in a positive way, um, it didn't really it, did, it didn't happen, or it felt that in 2000, when the peace process uh, fall apart and the second intifada, the violence mm-hmm. replaced uh, this this process. And it seemed like the occupation has continued and settlements are that all of this, uh, this bubble of uh, hope and dreams uh, was burst. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the time that I really grew up and I start to remember, uh, you know, because when my, when my family moved back, I was four years old. Mm-hmm. I, I was a kid. Yeah. By the time the Antifada started, I was like almost 10. Um, and then I start, you know, to open my eyes and I found myself living in, uh, in a situation in a in a conflict zone mm-hmm. um, under military occupation, uh, it was dangerous outside. My family was like outside of my house. They cannot. My father lost his job, and mm. this uh, affected us economically. Mm-hmm. And uh, like everyone around us, also was very affected by the events of the Intifada, especially the first two three years. That was mm-hmm. most uh, difficult. And I uh, grew up. Uh, to see myself and understand myself as a Palestinian living here in Palestine under the Israeli occupation. That's how that's how the reality uh, is for me. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a number of years, and obviously we'll get into Roots and, and your work with Roots and, and what the goals are. Um, but I'd love to hear about how you personally view this conflict, um, what your feelings are about, you know, what could happen? What is possible after all this time and all of your experience? Do you have any thoughts that you might want to share? Yeah, first of all, I think that the terminology to describe the situation is, um, you know, when it comes to, to, to my generation and to my side, like, first of all, many of my generation don't identify with the word, uh, with the word conflict. Okay. Uh, it's a, like they think that the, like the word conflict does not really describe what's taking place here because okay. experiences the 
difference in power between us and between the Israelis and that the Israelis are controlling every aspect of our life. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my generation see what's going on as an occupation mm -hmm. uh, on us by, by another people that, that must end. Mm -hmm. um, now, I personally think that the occupation is part of a larger conflict between us and the Israelis. And I think this is, this is the, this is the uh, bigger picture of, of what's, what happened and what's happening in Israel-Palestine. Okay. And uh, it didn't only start in 1967 because this is my, my identity is not only about 1967. My identity is about 1948 and what happened in 1948 mm -hmm. when my grandparents actually became refugees mm -hmm. due to the, the war that established the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. And we lost, we lost our, our homes and our, uh, our like, you know, physical homes and, and land mm -hmm. to the land mm -hmm. because my family, even though they were, uh, they became refugees in a, uh, in a nearby refugee camp, mm -hmm. but that affected uh, their life for generations uh, or for uh, decades to, mm -hmm. to, to come. Mm -hmm. So so that's how I see the conflict. And I think that our conflict have several dimensions, which is a national dimension, uh, a geopolitical dimension, a religious dimension, uh, if, this, if this is the right way to, dis to describe it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's, how, that's how I see the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Okay. I really appreciate that. And as a writer, I'm very sensitive to words. So thank you for correcting me and steering the whole conversation on the right path. I, I really appreciate that. Um, all right. So I, I appreciate you introducing yourself and sharing a little bit of your perspective to begin and set the stage. So now I'd like to turn to Rabbi Hanan um, for a bit of your story. So Rabbi, you're one of the founders of Roots, which is also known as the Palestinian-Israeli Grassroots Initiative for Understanding, Nonviolence, and Transformation. I had to get the full title in there. Um, before this, I understand you taught Jewish studies in seminaries and colleges, both in Israel and America. And so I'd like to hear a little bit about you and your journey and how you came to this work with Roots and, of course, your perspective on this occupation as well. Thank you. So briefly, uh, here where I live in Israel, uh, in the area between Bethlehem and Hebron, what Palestinians call Palestine and many in the world call occupied territory of the West Bank. I've lived here for almost 40 years. And the reality is that the two sides don't know each other, even though we live so close to each other. Mm -hmm. We have no idea how the other lives. Everything is separate. And a few years ago, this is about eight years ago, I wanted to meet my Palestinian neighbors. It uh, turned out to be extremely difficult to do so. Mm. Uh, but when I finally began to meet Palestinians, my life changed on a dime because I began to realize that I had no idea who they were. Mm -hmm. I had no idea who I was in their eyes. And I began to realize that my understanding of who they were is totally different than their self-understanding, which means in a larger sense, that I had no idea where I was living. I was living in what I later termed the hubris of exclusivity, meaning that I only saw my story. I only saw my perspective, my people's perspective on where I was and who I was and what was happening. And there's great hubris in that because it turns out that there are, there's another people living right where we're living and from their perspective, living in a different place and there's a different reality, different history, everything is different. And I began to uh, realize that if I really want to understand who I am in the larger context, I have to understand myself through their eyes. So my original desire to meet Palestinians turned into a life-changing uh, journey. 
and then it went beyond that. It went beyond just understanding who I was and who they were. But I began to see that the way both sides live their lives, and from my perspective, what's important is the way my side lives its life, is at the expense of the other side. That we live in a fashion, when I say we, I mean both sides, but again, I'm concentrating on my side, on the Jewish side, the Israeli side. <laughs> we live uh, in a fashion that tramples the rights, the dignity, the existence, the identity, the, uh, the bo- most basic uh, human rights of the other side. So uh, I became, uh, I went beyond becoming a rabbi and a spiritual searcher to becoming a certain type of crusader for opening one's eyes to become more uh, sensitive to living a life of, uh, of justice. So that's really interesting. And I'm going to ask, it might be a little bit of a challenging question, and I don't mean to challenge you, but don't you think in a way all people s- somehow live that way in sort of like a blinders on, this is my story, this is my experience, and I'm not really aware of the context around me, the larger story, or how there could be any kind of um, infringement on another person's borders, metaphorical or literal. I mean, I I don't mean to challenge it. I just think as you say that, and I'm sitting here in America and I think, oh my gosh, we do this in so many ways here. And it's not nearly to the extreme degree as it is for for both of you, but but it it is in a lot of ways, just um, almost ignorant of what's around me. My answer to your wonderful question is one word. Yes. Okay. Which means perhaps that I'm a product of my time. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, to be more specific, my particular human Jewish moral task is to clean up the ba- garbage in my backyard. Mm. So if I've discovered that uh, I live with blinders on mm-hmm. and that I'm involved in a project of injustice, at the same time I'm involved in a project of great justice, but uh, Mm -hmm. there's also injustice in my project, in my identity, in the way I live my life, Mm -hmm. then I want to spend the years I have left trying to fix that. Well, I love that. And that's a great lesson for our listeners, because I guess all of us can apply this wherever we are and in whatever context. So I think that's really beautiful. So thanks for letting me go down a side road with that one. Um, So great. So we've met both of you. Um, Tell me a little bit now about Roots and the work that Roots does. I'd love to hear a little bit about its history and what you hope for its impact and its outcomes. So um, tell me about that. Yeah, sure. So uh, the way how I see Roots, I just want to say that because it's important to me. I I don't just think of Roots as just another uh, peace organization that tried to bring Palestinians and Israelis to the table to discuss uh, peace and, uh, and conflict resolution. I joined Roots because I saw um, I saw something much deeper in, in what uh, Roots is doing. You know, it's very easy for pro-Palestinians or uh, people who are on the Palestinian side to delegitimize Roots and to uh, denounce it and to actually call it a horrible take and mm. uh, even like evil mm. uh, that we are doing a PR for the settler move for the settlers and for the settlement movement and that we are trying to normalize the, the, the reality under the occupation. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what Roots about, because from the, from the name Roots itself, we are not talking only about um, dealing with the symptoms of the conflict, which is the occupation and violence and settlements and many other things. We are talking about dealing with the roots of the conflict, which is our identities on both sides. Mm-hmm. And how do, we, how do we practice it? And how do we see it in, in relation and connection to this uh, 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 
to this land, to this geography that we are living on. So this is a much deeper meaning and um, of peace to me than what I heard before. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I usually even use the word reconciliation because the ultimate goal of, of, of roots is a reconciliation between two identities mm -hmm. that belongs to this to this land. Mm -hmm. So um, this is like in general what what uh, how I understood roots, mm -hmm. how is roots, and why we are doing uh, why I joined. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, roots is a, is not a political initiative; it's mm -hmm. a grassroots initiative working uh, with the people on the ground, with communities in the area of Bethlehem, Hebron, and between mm -hmm. Gush Etzion area also. Um, we are trying to expand now to different parts of the West Bank in the Jordan Valley as well. We have a branch. Mm -hmm. We have another branch that's uh, being established now in north of the West Bank between mm -hmm. Nablus uh, and Ariel. Mm -hmm. We are um, doing a, a lot of uh, uh, dialogue and, and, uh, and people meetings, interfaith dialogue, mm -hmm. uh, summer camps, a photography workshops, um, uh, structured and facilitated uh, uh, programs as well, mm -hmm. uh, like to deal with national trauma and, and, and personal traumas as, as well, like affected by the by the national story and by what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, we have like uh, two dozens of meetings that mm -hmm. brings Israelis and Palestinians to the first time mm -hmm. to meet each other. Okay, and I'm not sure if Rabhan mentioned this before, but in our area to do to do this. To have a, a physical center that allows Palestinians and Israelis to come and, and meet each other mm -hmm. is it doesn't it doesn't exist. There's no place that uh, that people can do that. Right, right. So, I was going to ask you how how do, how do you affect it? How do you make it happen so that people can be in the same place and can can safely gather? How how do you make that happen? So I'll say uh, in answer to that question that here in the area where we live where Roots is focused. Israeli military law forbids Israelis from entering Palestinian population centers and forbids Palestinians from entering Israeli population centers except with work permits mm -hmm. as workers. So we couldn't meet in any, in my home or Noor's home. Mm -hmm. uh, what we did is that uh, a wonderful, dedicated Palestinian family has a piece of farmland. Mm -hmm. that is near a main road and uh, roots together with them. We turned it into the only is joint Israeli-Palestinian community center in the whole West Bank and the whole area. Mm. It's called the Dignity Center. Okay. And as Noor was saying, we have activities there for the full range of, of, uh, of ages just about every day. Mm -hmm. And it's just about the only opportunity for the two sides to, to meet each other. It's mm. something very, very unique. I call it a, a holy a holy place mm -hmm. uh, because it expands people's perspective. It helps them overcome the sickness that I, I think I didn't talk about earlier. I mentioned now I call it the hubris of exclusivity. Yeah, that each side only sees its own perspective, its own truth, its own connection to the land, and sure. thinks the other side is fabricated, is is false. Uh, in roots, through meeting the other, we first discovered the human being on the other side, which is surprising for many of us. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, we realize that they have a whole different identity than what we have, and a mm -hmm. whole different understanding of themselves than what we understand themselves to be, just like our understanding of ourselves is different than their understanding of who we are. Sure. So in our activities, we discover not just a human being, but the bearer of a national identity mm -hmm. that we come to uh, 
understand, to recognize, to, to trust, and to cherish. Most peace work for the past decades, both among Israelis and among Palestinians, has been on the level of human beings meeting human beings. I'm mm -hmm. talking about the people-to-people -people work. And of course, it's great for human beings to meet human beings. But by and large, that type of framework has shied away from, has been afraid of coming face-to-face -face with the fullness of each side's identity. Mm. To put it differently, most of the people-to-people -people work in the past and in the present is about secular Jews meeting secular Palestinians, mm -hmm. secular Muslims, I should say. It's about talking about what we have in common, mm -hmm. about our universal values, which again is, is great, but it doesn't really touch on the core of the conflict. And we've learned in our work in Roots, the core of the conflict is identity. Mm -hmm. It's about each side's national identity and each side's religious and cultural identity. Mm -hmm. So the work of Roots specifically is focused in the geographical area where the two sides are the most conservative, let's say, mm -hmm. the most nationalistic, the most religious. West Bank that I call from a Jewish perspective, Judean Samaria. Mm -hmm. We're focused in this place and we bring together those specific people, those people who have usually seen themselves and have been seen by others as enemies of peace. Mm. Uh, those people who have seen themselves having the most to lose by peace. Mm -hmm. So we're bringing together two opposing national and religious identities and we're discovering that we can actually understand each other and respect each other and cherish each other because although our identities are very different, they're poles apart, we find ourselves united by the very fact that identity is so central to us, by the passion for the land, the passion for God, the passion for tradition. So let's let's talk about the land, because the land is the core dispute and shared desire, shared claim. Um, how do we reconcile these very real claims to the same earth, the same land that, you know, how, how do we get there? How do we figure out how to to have both of these claims in the same place and and then move forward with that. It's actually, it's not that hard to to, uh, to enunciate from, from our perspective, from my perspective. Mm -hmm. There's the political side of it, of how we actually put into practice the principles. But before that, there's the principles. Mm -hmm. So the principles are very simple. They're very frightening for most Israelis and most Palestinians, but they're very simple. The principles are these. Number one, the whole land from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea is Palestine. Mm -hmm. That's a fact of identity, and it's not going to change. The second principle is the whole land, the whole same land, from the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan River is Israel. Mm -hmm. That's it. The minute we, on both sides, accept both those two principles, we're on the way to a better future. Of course, it's very difficult to get there. Sure. But those are the principles. So what are the practical ramifications of such a statement? I mean, it seems very easy. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can get on board with that. Absolutely. So what then? What, are, what would be the next steps? There has to be a Palestinian national identity that encompasses the whole land from the Jordan to the uh, Mediterranean. And there has to be a Jewish identity that encompasses the whole land. Okay. That's, that's uh, practical principle number one. Practical principle number two is for reasons we didn't discuss there has to be a particularly Jewish state and there has to be a particularly Palestinian state. So, and that's the second set of principles. And of course, the first set of practical principles contradicts the second. 
Again, there has to be a Palestinian state in the whole land, and there has to be an Israeli state in the whole land. And number two, there has to be a particularly Jewish-Israeli state, and there has to be a particularly Palestinian state. So principles number one and principle number two contradict. Okay, so what then? <laughs> so then you get into politics, and uh, Roots is not political. Roots mm -hmm. goes as far as what I, what I just said, recognizing both sides, historical connection to the whole land. Okay. On the political side, Nor and I are both members of a movement that's not directly connected to Roots, a political movement called A Land for All. Tell me about and that. Their plan, their plan is called Two States, One Homeland. And it's also pretty simple. <laughs> simple to say. It goes like this. There should be two states, a Jewish-Israeli state and then a Palestinian state, with the green line, the armistices line of 1948 and 1967 uh, between them. But these two states cannot, and here we uh, clash with the traditional two-state solution, these Two states cannot be two separate states. They have to be two intertwined states. Mm. Intertwined on at least three levels. The first level is open borders, moving from one side to the other mm -hmm. without being obstructed. Number mm -hmm. two, open residency. You can live your whole life on the other side of the border. An Israeli Jew can live in Palestine without getting Palestinian citizenship. And a Palestinian Muslim or Christian can live their whole life in Tel Aviv and Israel without getting Israeli citizenship. Mm -hmm. So after, And then after open borders and open residency, you have the confederation between the two states, hmm. uh, organs of government that unite these two sovereign states, a parliament, a prime minister, something like the European Union. Okay. And what happens in the solution is that you have your piece of cake, but you also get the whole cake. Hmm. In other words, you have your own expression of your national identity through the sovereignty of your own particular say state mm -hmm. but you also through the three levels of intertwining get enough of a connection to the whole land so you feel your identity has not been robbed from you okay so nord i want to hear your thoughts on this tell me where where you are with all of this i just want to say again that what rough plans beginning is the most important thing i mean the way how i saw the way how i see like why why that is to make a two-state solution fail not only in not only in the 90s but all the way back to 1947, is exactly what, what, what we are at Roots are doing, because there was no recognition, no acceptance of the other side legitimacy. Mm -hmm. In 1947, we said no partition plan because the international community was partitioning our own land, our house, like, I'm just fine, like, without, you know, there is no uh, legitimacy for doing that. Mm -hmm. And say no, decades, until, like, our le leadership, uh, in a way, uh, gave up, I can say, in the beginning of 1990s and gave up this international vision of, of having two states. Mm -hmm. And because of that, um, and because of the lack of legitimacy and recognition and many other reasons, there was the solution just didn't, didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Add mostly to it the lack of a trust between, between both sides, that we have a conflict for generations and there is no trust between Israelis and, 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 and Palestinians. Uh, if I tell anyone today, any Palestinian, about this confederation idea, they will say, "Wait, yes, I accept it. I, I want to see this. Mm -hmm. But do you think that the Israelis will accept this? Do you think they will they will give us or they will do do, do this? Mm -hmm. I think that most of people and many people in my society don't trust the Israeli side. And most of and many people on the Israeli side don't trust the, the Palestinian side. Mm -hmm. I think this plan is, is, uh, is a very clever solution. Because it's to like combine between you know be a practical solution that 
that uh, answers uh, both sides' needs and desires. The need for a uh, right of self-determination, the need of, uh, of ending the occupation, the need of living under civil law, mm-hmm. and at the same time, the desire to live on all of our national homeland, Israel and, and Palestine, to mm-hmm. be, as Rav Hanan said, to be able to live on the, on the whole land without affecting or denying the other people's rights. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a, I think it's a clever plan. Uh, I think, uh, as Rav Hanan said, the, the road to it is very difficult. It's not easy. Yeah. As simple as our solution might sound, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's also very difficult to achieve. But I have the hope to achieve it. Well, actually, one of my questions I was going to ask you both was about how we can have hope when it seems so daunting to try and come to a solution. And now I feel so hopeful because this plan feels simple and practical and it just makes sense. Um, so, and what a what an example or a modeling of a way of coexistence we could we could affect for the rest of the world, since we know the world is in a lot of chaos in all different parts of the globe. But um, I just feel like this this sounds just so common sense. And I I wish we could get started today and just let's let's get on the road so that we can do that. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, one of the things I did want to ask you both, um, and I'm of course doing this interview from America, so my lens is very uh, colored by everything I'm seeing from afar. And I wonder what you think is the role of media in either making peaceful coexistence possible or impossible, um, because so much of our information about situations is tainted or distant or third, fourth, fifth party. So we're not actually um, getting the, the the real news, the real information. So what do you see as the role of media in perpetuating the situation or resolving it? Well, it's not just our conflict. It's what I'm about to say is true in the whole world. The existence of, um, of good relationships between people and between communities and between nations is dependent on perception that we have to perceive the other side as being uh, good, as being legitimate, mm-hmm. as being human and like us and worthy of a proper existence. And the second point is trust. Depends on trusting them. So uh, to the degree that the media highlights stories of conflict, stories of, uh, of backstabbing, stories of violence, it uh, convinces each side that there's no one on the other side to talk to. They're not legitimate human beings. They can't be trusted. Uh, I always uh, tell audiences when they ask, what can we do? What you can do is to fill your social media feed with stories of good. Mm. Stories of coexistence, stories of reconciliation, stories of trust, stories of dialogue, stories of of, uh, of breaking bread together, of uh, of listening to each other. Because stories about positive interaction between the two sides, whatever the two sides are, wherever they are, mm-hmm. those type of stories create hope. And a little bit of hope creates more hope. And the more hope you have, the more willing you are to take responsibility. And we have, when we have enough people who have a sense of hope and responsibility, that's already the path to a better future. Hmm. Yeah. Nora, do you have anything to add to that? No, I, I just want to say that I think that media is playing a negative role in, in the conflict in our situation. I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a situation where I was always thinking that um, international media was biased toward the Israeli side and they don't really listen to our story. 
represent our situation really well. And I wanted the people to hear more about us. But also now, I I also believe and I also see that media is part of the problem, the way how they uh, all the talk about the situation. I agree with Raf Hanan about like about his advice to people to shed light on on uh, on hopeful news, on positive news, because it's very easy for us to you know to click on these you know uh, links that that show us like you know the bad and negativity and talks about the conflict. And I'm not I'm not denying the reality. I'm not saying that there's nothing bad and we should just pretend everything is is fine. No, mm-hmm. I'm trying to say, of course, I want people to talk about the injustices and to to try to mobilize and people to be worldwide if they can do uh, things to help any people under injustice. Mm-hmm. At the same time, yes, we need to uh, shed light uh, and focus on the, on the positive news, on, mm-hmm. on what people are doing in order to fix the situation and to show that. Uh, for example, like when I, when I do something with an Israeli activist, when, I, when, when we have sometimes like shared activities, for example, here in the, uh, in the West Bank, Right? And and we have some Israeli activists who join us, like to to help Palestinians. I want the Palestinian media to show that. I want them mm-hmm. to show this to the, to my society. Mm-hmm. That there are Israelis who see this injustice, who recognize it, who are willing to step up and and, and do something about it. And this is what our media usually don't show, uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So that's that's for me how I how I look at at media. Absolutely. It's like you said earlier, you know, the words matter. And I I was a journalist uh, for a lot of years and I'm always paying attention to, you know, which word comes first in a headline or how are, you know, what adjectives are being used. And they're so strategic. One little word can change the whole tone of a story and, and change our understanding of it. And we may not even realize it's so important to be an educated consumer of media because it's swaying us all the time, whether we realize it or not. So um, I think those are really, really good points. Um, you know, it's interesting. It seems that around the world today, authoritarianism is on the rise and trust in democracy seems to be waning or shaking a little bit. And it seems like anger and distrust are abundant all over the world, not just in your region. Um, but it seems like the work that Roots is doing is is one answer to that situation is that once you're talking and meeting and and bringing people together, Perhaps that's the solution to reversing the trend. What do you think? Yes. Easy answer, right? So as we finish our conversation, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about Roots, about Israel and Palestine, and how might our listeners get involved in some way, wherever they are in the world? Well, of course, we'd like uh, listeners to, first of all, know about our website, okay, friendsofroots.net, mm-hmm. www.friendsofroots.net. Please do not make the mistake of going to friendsofroots.org. Okay. Because if you do, you'll find yourself in a store in China selling roots. Oh, <laughs> okay. Happened to me once. So go to friendsofroots.net and there listeners can learn more about our work. They can sign up for our quarterly newsletter uh, into their inboxes. Of course, they can donate to our work. We are in great need of contributions. And also we can be invited to speak in other podcasts, invited to speak on college campuses in, in uh, synagogues, churches, mosques. We've spoken in perhaps, uh, I don't know, about 100 synagogues, 30 churches, 150 universities in person, I mean. Mm-hmm. And we also do Zoom uh, conversations. Mm-hmm. We'd be happy to be invited to speak more about about our work. And I would say our final message is always that if your tendency 
before this podcast was to be a strong supporter of Palestine, we hope you'll continue to be a strong supporter of Palestine. And if your tendency was to be a strong supporter of Israel, we hope you will continue to be a strong supporter of Israel. However, we greatly recommend that people do not be strong supporters of one side at the expense of the, of the other side. Mm-hmm. We'd like to see millions upon millions of people around the world as strong supporters of Palestine and at the same time strong supporters of Israel. That's really the only way mm-hmm. to be a strong supporter of a better future for both Israelis and Palestinians. Noor, what are your final thoughts and uh, lessons for our listeners? I just want to add uh, one more thing to make sure that people get the, the full picture of what Truth is doing. So we talked about the activities and people to be in the meetings we do. This is not what all our work is about. Uh, this is the first level of work. Um, this is what uh, the communities around us to join our work. The second level, which is the most important for me, is the level of activism, that we have responsibility toward the situation, toward what's happening as, as individuals living here and as part of our members of our societies. And then when we step up and start actually do things, sorry, go and sit like for hours and talk nicely and give like nice speeches. But at the end of the day, what you are doing is what matters. And part of that is the, the, the activism that happens in Roots. We have like different, several stories of activism between Palestinians and Israelis trying to change the situation and trying to answer the injustices that's, uh, that's taking place and, and, and finding solutions. The, the last level of the work, I just said that in, in this way, we are creating a new discourse about, uh, about, the, about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It's not a zero-sum game. Well, thank you so much, Noor Awad, Rabbi Hanan Schlesinger. It's just been such a delight to speak with you today. And I'm so grateful for you sharing both the work that you're doing and your passion and your vision for how we can have a better future. So I hope that everyone will take this to heart and get involved in the process so that we can get there. So thank you very much for being on the Make Meaning podcast. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.